Uh, Les is on vacation this week, so he asked me to preach, and thanks, Jeff, for coming and leading with the worship team for me today. It's awesome. Thank you, guys. Such a good time of worship. Um, if you want to turn, we're going to continue on in our study of Romans this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5. And as we get started this morning, I just want to say, sometimes as a preacher, and especially a preacher who doesn't get to preach every week, I'm not really a preacher, right? You can feel tempted to like pressure, put pressure on yourself to feel like you have to say something super profound or, or feel like, man, I better take my time up here because I don't get to do this a whole lot, you know? <laughs> but sometimes the text is simple. And so just to be upfront with y'all this morning, that's kind of what I've been wrestling with this week. The, the text this morning is the very heart of the gospel. And this might sound weird at first, but the message of the gospel isn't intellectually profound. The implications of the gospel are definitely deep and profound, but the message of the gospel in its essence is intellectually simple. God does not intend for his message of salvation to be overcomplicated so that only people of a certain IQ level can grasp or understand it. And I think that in and of itself is proof of some of the love that God has for us, that all would come to know him. My dad always said growing up, and I guess he got this from his seminary professor. He told me this morning, I don't remember, something Ram, Bernie Ram, Bernie Ram. Okay, he's doing slides for me. Who was, my dad said this guy was a super deep intellectual man, but he had this saying, he always told the students, God puts the cookies on the table where everyone can reach them. And so that's what I mean when I say the gospel isn't intellectually profound. And that's why we can say that, yes, you know, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old can understand the message of salvation. That's why, you know, Jackson can choose to follow Jesus at such a young age and be baptized in this place this morning, and we can celebrate with him. And so it's simple. There's many facets to it, but the base level of understanding for salvation is not complicated. And that's what we have in our text today. And so I pray that I don't overcomplicate it for us this morning. And that if you're here as an unbeliever, a believer, unbeliever, if I could talk, or you've been a Christian for decades, or you're somewhere in the middle of that, that you would hear the gospel this morning, just the simple gospel with fresh ears and an open heart. So let me pray, and then we'll read the text. And I promise I won't go very long today. Father, we just come to you this morning, a holy, great, powerful, gracious, loving God. Would we just come into your presence this morning expecting to hear from you, expecting you to work and move in our lives in such a way that we would be drawn closer to you. So I, I pray for our time together in your word this morning. I pray that we would hear your words for us this morning with fresh ears and open hearts and that you would soften us this morning to your gospel. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So let's uh, open up to Romans 5, if you would. It'll also be on the screen. Starting in verse 6, just three verses this morning. Paul writes, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was prepping my sermon this week and I had most of my sermon laid out, but I was looking for some illustrations and um, I wasn't really happy with what I was looking up on Google. <laughs> and so, uh, so I went to Les. I said, Les, where do you get all your sermon illustrations? And his face lit up. He was like, oh, right? He was like, let me show you. And so how many of you have seen Les's office? Have you seen in that, that big file cabinet he has in the corner of his office? It's just full of sermon illustrations in alphabetical order. Four drawers. He was, it was like his pride and joy. Like some people collect rocks. Les, actually, Les collects rocks too. That's right next to his sermon collection. Les collects sermon illustrations and rocks. And so Les has this massive file. It was just awesome. And so he's like, what are you preaching on? And I was like, God's love. So he pulled out his love folder and he gave it to me. He said, help yourself. And uh, so I took it back to my office and I got distracted with something. And then uh, later in the afternoon after lunch, I came back to my office and I opened up that love folder. That sounds weird to say. I opened up the love folder and right on top was this, right? The very first thing in there. I have a picture of it. There we go. And so if you can't see it, it says, somebody somewhere love me. It is a quote by Madeline Murray O'Hare. And, you know, the description says that the phrase was found in her diaries at least a half dozen times and that she vanished. Well, I guess if you, if you, I Googled her because I'd never heard of her before. So I Googled her and apparently, I guess she was murdered by someone. They fessed up to it. Kind of dark, whatever. Uh, apparently when Les got the sermon illustration, they didn't know that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, if you Google her, what you find is that she was an American activist supporting atheism and the separation of church and state. And in 1963, she founded American Atheists and served as its president until 1986. And then she created the first issue of American Atheist Magazine, and identif she identified as a militant feminist. I'd never heard of her up until this week, and I read quite a bit about her. And honestly, she sounds just like a lovely person to be around. But uh, no, seriously, uh, this militant atheist activist in her most secret place in her diary several times pleaded for someone somewhere to love her. This is in essence the deepest longing I think that every one of us has. It's built into us by our creator at our core. Right? We want most to feel loved for who we really are. And this text assures us that we really are loved by God, the creator of the universe. And he loves us. But how do we know that we are loved by him? Verse six says that while we were still weak, so we were weak, what is this weakness? The text describes it. It uses three different words to describe our weakness. The first is obviously that weakness. The second is ungodly. And the third is sinners. And if you jump ahead to verse nine, Paul also says, Paul also says that we were enemies to God. 
And so this weakness is our sin that causes us to be the enemy of God. And our sin makes us, it, it makes our case before God weak. We are ungodly. We are guilty, Paul says. And we are still stuck in this messy and dire situation. And 2,000 years of animal sacrifices and ritual cleansings weren't enough to clean ourselves up before God. But some translations translate this word weak as powerless. And I think I kind of like that, that translation better because I think it gets to the real reality of our situation. We were stuck in our sin as a human race. And with all the potential that we have to innovate, to build, to create and advance technology, we were powerless to anything, to do anything on our own about our sin situation. We were powerless to make right our sin and justify ourselves before God. And so we're powerless and we're weak and the debt for our sin is still left unpaid and owed. And this collective powerlessness was no surprise to God. Verse six continues, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we were powerless and weak, ungodly sinners, incapable of saving ourselves, incapable of redeeming ourselves, incapable of reconciling ourselves to God. And at the right time, at the perfect time, at the exact time that he had always intended it to happen, God stepped into our mess. He paid the price we could not pay. And Jesus died for us ungodly sinners. It was at the right time. Don't be tempted to confuse the meaning of this phrase with a last ditch effort. At the right time here does not imply kind of some type of like last second long shot Hail Mary attempt at rectifying the situation, right? This is not Satan leading the game by five in the fourth quarter and Jesus throwing a Hail Mary touchdown to win the game with four seconds left on the clock. It is not that. At the right time means just as he had always planned. Jesus Christ as our redeemer, his death in place of our own was always his plan in redeeming us. We can look through the scriptures and there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this was always his plan. God is not caught off guard by our situation or our sin. God always had a plan on how he was going to deal with it. Before he put Adam and Eve in that garden, before he knew, before they were going to take a bite of that fruit, he knew what his plan was. And that's what, what's even more amazing about this, okay, is in verse seven, which honestly, verse seven, at first, it just kind of sounds weird. It seems like kind of out of place. Like, why did Paul put verse seven there? Why did Paul say that, that way? But nothing in the scriptures is a mistake or out of place. So verse seven is simply another explanation of verse six. God died in the person of Jesus Christ for ungodly, sinful people. This is a super shocking thing. It's an amazing thing. Paul says, 
people rarely die for people who are righteous and good people. That's highly unusually rare. But God died for a whole planet of people dead in their sin. People who were his enemies. He died for them. And that's what brings us to the real heart of this morning's message. It's the why of the gospel. It's why did God die for us? I, w- I want you guys to see this, um, this YouTube video that I saw uh, a while back. Now, just a disclaimer, the people in this video are talking in a foreign language that I don't understand. So, you know, they, they could be swearing and cursing and I don't know it. <laughs> I just, if you speak this language and you can understand it and you're offended by it, I just want to apologize up front. But I don't think any of you know what they're saying. I think it's fine. I think it's innocent. It's a mom and some kids, so it should be pretty fine. But I just wanted to say, I don't know what they're saying. But the point is the visual. So uh, we're going to go ahead and play that video clip for you real quick. I'm going a lot faster than I thought I was going to go. You might get it and you're going to get to the plaza before all the other churches today. Why did God die for us? Because verse 8 says, this is precisely how God shows his love for us. His love for you. His love for me. He, Christ Jesus, died for us while we were still sinners. He doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He doesn't wait for us to earn our redemption. Those are all things that we were powerless to do. Instead, He extends his grace and his mercy to us because he loves us. He says, I will make a way. I will pay your debt. I will lift you up out of the ditch. And when you stumble and when you fall back in, I will lift you up again because I love you. At the right time, He gave his life for us, for me and for you, because he loves us. Jesus says in Matthew 9, 13, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And we are all sinners. Paul says that a couple chapters back in Romans chapter three, that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. And so, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you've ever put your trust in Christ, if you're 
the sheep in that ditch just begging to get out. If you're the, if you're like Madeline Murray O'Hare and you've never felt truly, deeply loved, but you're pleading for someone somewhere to love you, let me assure you this morning that the God of the universe loves you. And he's proved it. He has demonstrated it. Jesus gave himself up for you. He shed his blood for you. He died the ugliest of deaths that you deserved. He willingly paid for your sin to pull you up out of the pit of death because he loves you. And not only does he want you to know it, he wants you to feel it. Or maybe you're the sheep that's been pulled out of the pit before. Maybe a few times. And you've celebrated and you've worshipped and you've leapt with joy. But somehow you found yourself back in that pit. Maybe a pit of depression. A pit of habitual sin. A pit of doubt. Or maybe just, maybe just a pit of apathy. Like maybe you've just kind of become jaded about your relationship with Jesus. I mean, you, you know God loves you, but you don't feel like God loves you. God loves you. And he wants you to know it. And he wants you to feel it. I know he does because he wouldn't have gone to the lengths of saving us that he did if he didn't want us to. If, you know, if you're, if you're the believer this morning that's struggling today, after the service, I want to encourage you to go home today and set aside some time and go back and reread the text from two weeks ago. I can't rehash it all up here, but verses one through five, real quickly, God wants us to feel his love because in verse five, he flat out says it. He says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So feel encouraged today. God loves you. He wants you to know that he loves you and he wants you to feel his love through the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up. And, and as they're getting ready to lead us in another song, I'm going to pray. And... um. As we pray this morning, I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to, to help you this morning. If, if you're lost and you're longing to be saved, let me assure you, Jesus has won that salvation. And he loves you. And if you'll put your faith in him and what he's done for you and commit your life to following him no matter the cost, he will seal you with his spirit. You will be born again and become a child of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you feel distant this morning, if you feel far from God, maybe you know God loves you, but maybe you haven't felt like he loves you for a long time. Ask the spirit just to give you a freshness of his love to be poured into you again. Um, John and I are going to be up front this morning during the song. If you'd like somebody 
to pray with, um, or if you just want to come up and pray by yourself and be, feel invited to do so as well, or if you want to pray um, in the congregation with somebody this morning, I encourage you to do that. Um, the closing song time, I kind of want to tell you this is your worship pastor, but like the times of worship, they're times of ministry too. We minister to the Lord as we worship, but we can minister to each other as well. And so if you feel led by the Spirit during time, anytime, this is not just today, this is anytime we worship as a church. The Spirit leads you to pray for somebody if you have a friend in our church. But I especially want to encourage you to do that today. If you know somebody who's struggling, just go put your arm around them and go pray for them. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. But I would just encourage us as a church to, to start doing that more often. Um, man, I've been, I've been encouraged and changed more times in worship um, than, than other things. <laughs> and so um, I think it's important for us to do that. Um, but if you would like to come forward this morning, um, we're going to be up here to pray for you. Um, and so I just want to give that invitation to you this morning for that no matter where you're at, that you would listen to the Spirit and you would just be encouraged by His love for you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. The kind of good that we can't even understand. We thank you for your great, great love for us. That's why we're here today. Because without it, we'd still be lost. We'd still be stuck in that pit. And so, Father, I just, I pray for the people in this room who've never made the decision to follow you. God, I pray that your spirit would call them and draw them close to you, to near to you. That they would decide to lay down their idols, to lay down their sin, and to follow you and say that you are Savior, that you are Lord, that you are King because of your great love for them, because of the great price that you paid for them, and because of the resurrection life that you want to give to them. And to God, I pray for those of us who've been following you maybe our whole lives, and we know the gospel, and we know the theology, and we know the things that we're supposed to know, but we don't feel them. God, I pray that your spirit would rush in. New and afresh with a feeling of love that you have for us. The feeling of assurance that we are yours and that you are ours and that you love us. So we just worship you and we praise you this morning. We ask it in the great name of your son, Jesus, this morning. Amen.